Story three of L. M. Montgomery Short Stories, 1905 to 1906. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. L. M. Montgomery Short Stories, 1905 to 1906 by L. M. Montgomery. Story three at five o'clock in the morning. Fate, in the guise of Mrs. Emery dropping a milk-can on the platform under his open window, awakened Murray that morning. Had not Mrs. Emery dropped that can, he would have slumbered peacefully until his usual hour for rising. A late one, be it admitted, for of all the boarders at Sweetbriar Cottage, Murray was the most irregular in his habits. "'When a young man,' Mrs. Emery was wont to remark sagely, and a trifle severely, prowls about that pond half of the night,' A chasing of things what he calls moonlight effects, it ain't to be wondered at that he's sleepy in the morning. And it ain't the conveniencest things, nother in no ways, to keep the breakfast table set till the farm folks are thinking of dinner. But them honest men are not like other people say what you will, an allowance has to be made for them. And I must say that I likes him real well and approves of him every other way. If Murray had slept late that morning, well, he shudders yet over that if but aforesaid fate saw to it that he woke when the hour of destiny and the milk-can struck and having awakened he found he could not go to sleep again it suddenly occurred to him that he had never seen a sunrise on the pond doubtless it would be very lovely down there in those dewy meadows at such a primitive hour he decided to get up and see what the world looked like in the young daylight he scowled at a letter lying on his dressing-table and thrust it into his pocket that it might be out of sight he had written it the night before and the writing of it was going to cost him several things a prospective million among others so it is hardly to be wondered at if the sight of it did not reconcile him to the joys of early rising dear life and heart exclaimed mrs emery pausing in the act of scalding a milk-can when murray emerged from a side door what on earth is the matter mr murray you ain't sick now surely i told you them pond fogs was pisin after night if you've gone and got nothing is the matter dear lady interrupted mary and i haven't gone and got anything except an acute attack of early rising which is not in the least likely to become chronic but at what hour of the night do you get up you wonderful woman or rather do you ever go to bed at all here is the sun only beginning to rise and positively yes you have all your cows milked Mrs. Emery purred with delight. "'Folks as has fourteen cows to milk has to rise betimes,' she answered with proud humility. "'Laws, I don't complain. I have lots of help with the milking. How Mrs. Palmer manages I really cannot comprehend. Or rather, how she has managed. I suppose she'll be all right now since her niece came last night. I saw her posting to the pond pasture not ten minutes ago. She'll have to milk all them seven cows herself.' But dear life and heart, here I be palavering away, and not a bite of breakfast ready for you. I don't want any breakfast until the regular time for it, assured Murray. I'm going down to the pond to see the sun rise. Now don't you go and get caught in the marsh, anxiously called Mrs. Emery, as she never failed to do when she saw him starting for the pond. Nobody ever had got caught in the marsh, but Mrs. Emery lived in a chronic state of fear lest someone should. "'And if you once got stuck in that black mud, you'd be sucked right down "'and never seen or heard tell of again to the day of judgment, like Adam Palmer's cow,' "'she was wont to warn her boarders. "'Murray sought his favorite spot for pond-dreaming, 
a bloomy corner of the pasture that ran down into the blue water with a dump of leafy maples on the left he was very glad he had risen early a miracle was being worked before his very eyes the world was in a flush and tremor of maiden loveliness, instinct with all the marvellous fleeting charm of girlhood and spring and young morning. Overhead the sky was a vast, high-sprung arch of unstained crystal. Down over the sand dunes, where the pond ran out into the sea, was a great arc of primrose smitten through with auroral crimsonings. Beneath it the pond-water shimmered with a hundred very hues, but just before him they were clear as a flawless mirror. The fields around him glistened with dews, and a little wandering wind, blowing lightly from some bourne on the hills, strayed down over the slopes, bringing with it an unimaginable odor and freshness, and fluttered over the pond, leaving a little path of dancing silver ripples across the mirror-glory of the water. Birds were singing in the beech-woods over on Orchard Knob Farm, answering to each other from shore to shore until the very air was tremulous with the elfin music of this wonderful midsummer dawn. "'I will get up at sunrise every morning of my life hereafter,' exclaimed Murray rapturously, not meaning a syllable of it, but devoutly believing he did. Just as the fiery disk of the sun peered over the sand-dunes, Murray heard music that was not of the birds. It was a girl's voice singing beyond the maples to his left, a clear, sweet voice blithely trilling out the old-fashioned song, five o'clock in the morning. Mrs. Palmer's niece! Murray sprang to his feet and tiptoed cautiously through the maples. He had heard so much from Mrs. Palmer about her niece that he felt reasonably well acquainted with her. Moreover, Mrs. Palmer had assured him that Molly was a very pretty girl. Now a pretty girl milking cows at sunrise in the meadows sounded well. Mrs. Palmer had not overrated her niece's beauty. Murray said so to himself with a little whistle of amazement as he leaned unseen on the pasture fence and looked at the girl who was milking a placid jersey less than ten yards away from him. Murray's artistic instinct responded to the whole scene with a thrill of satisfaction. He could see only her profile, but that was perfect, and the coloring of the oval cheek and the beautiful curve of the chin was something to adore. Her hair, ruffled into lovable little ringlets by the morning wind, was coiled in glistening chestnut masses high on her bare head, and her arms, bare to the elbow, were as white as marble. Presently she began to sing again, and this time Murray joined in. She half rose from her milking-stool, and cast a startled glance at the maples. Then she dropped back again, and began to milk determinedly, but Murray could have sworn that he saw a demure smile hovering about her lips. That, and the revelation of her full face, decided him. He sprang over the fence and sauntered across the intervening space of lush clover blossoms. "'Good morning,' he said coolly. He had forgotten her other name, and it did not matter. At five o'clock in the morning people who met in dewy clover fields might disregard the conventionalities. "'Isn't it rather a large contract for you to be milking seven cows all alone? May I help you?' Molly looked up at him over her shoulder. She had glorious gray eyes. Her face was serene and undisturbed. "'Can you milk?' she asked. "'Unlikely as it may seem, I can,' said Murray. "'I have never confessed it to Mrs. Emery because I was afraid she would inveigle me into milking her fourteen cows. But I don't mind helping you. I learned to milk when I was a shaver on my vacations at a grandfatherly farm. May I have that extra pail?' 
Murray captured a milking-stool and rounded up another jersey. Before sitting down, he seemed struck with an idea. "'My name is Arnold Murray. I board at Sweetbriar Cottage next farm to Orchard Knob. That makes us near neighbors.' "'I suppose it does,' said Molly. Murray mentally decided that her voice was the sweetest he had ever heard. He was glad he had arranged his cow at such an angle that he could study her profile. It was amazing that Mrs. Palmer's niece should have such a profile, and looked as if centuries of fine breeding were responsible for it. "'What a morning!' he said enthusiastically. "'It harks back to the days when earth was young. They must have had just such mornings as this in Eden.' "'Do you always get up so early?' asked Molly practically. "'Always,' said Murray, without a blush. "'Then—' "'But no, that is a fib, and I cannot tell fibs to you. The truth is your tribute. I never get up early.' It was fate that roused me and brought me here this morning. The morning is a miracle, and you, I might suppose you were born of the sunrise, if Mrs. Palmer hadn't told me all about you. What did she tell you about me? asked Molly, changing cows. Murray discovered that she was tall, and that the big blue print apron shrouded a singularly graceful figure. She said you were the best-looking girl in Bruce County. I have seen very few of the girls in Bruce County, but I know she is right. "'That compliment is not nearly so pretty as the sunrise one,' said Molly reflectively. "'Mrs. Palmer has told me things about you,' she added. "'Curiosity knows no gender,' hinted Murray. "'She said you were good-looking and lazy and different from other people.' "'All compliments,' said Murray in a gratified tone. "'Lazy?' "'Certainly. Laziness is a virtue in these strenuous days.' I was not born with it, but I have painstakingly acquired it, and I am proud of my success. I have time to enjoy life. I think that I like you, said Molly. You have the merit of being able to enter into a situation, he assured her. When the last jersey was milked, they carried the pails down to the spring where the creamers were sunk, and strained the milk into them. Murray washed the pails, and Molly wiped them, and set them in a gleaming row on the shelf under a big maple. "'Thank you,' she said. "'You are not going yet,' said Murray, resolutely. "'The time I saved you in milking three cows belongs to me. We will spend it in a walk along the pond shore. I will show you a path I have discovered under the beeches. It is just wide enough for two. Come.' He took her hand and drew her through the copse into a green lane, where the ferns grew thickly on either side and the pond-waters plashed dreamily below them. He kept her hand in his as they went down the path, and she did not try to withdraw it. About them was the great, pure silence of the morning, faintly threaded with caressing sounds, croon of birds, gurgle of waters, sough of wind. The spirit of youth and love hovered over them, and they spoke no word. When they finally came out on a little green nook swimming in early sunshine and arched over by maples, with the wide shimmer of the pond before it and the gold dust of blossoms over the grass, the girl drew a long breath of delight. "'It is a morning left over from Eden, isn't it?' said Murray. "'Yes,' said Molly softly. Murray bent toward her, you are Eve, he said. You are the only woman in the world. For me. Adam must have told Eve just what he thought about her the first time he saw her. There were no conventionalities in Eden, and people could not have taken long to make up their mind. We are in Eden just now. 
one can say what he thinks in Eden without being ridiculous. You are divinely fair, Eve. Your eyes are stars of the morning. Your cheek has the flush it stole from the sunrise. Your lips are redder than the roses of paradise. And I love you, Eve. Molly lowered her eyes, and the long fringe of her lashes lay in a burnished semicircle on her cheek. I think, she said slowly, that it must have been very delightful in Eden. But we are not really there, you know. We are only plain that we are. And it is time for me to go back. I must get the breakfast. That sounds too prosaic for paradise. Murray bent still closer. Before we remember that we are only playing at paradise, will you kiss me, dear Eve? You are very audacious, said Molly coldly. We are in Eden yet, he urged. That makes all the difference. Well, said Molly, and Murray kissed her. They had passed back over the fern path and were in the pasture before either spoke again. Then Murray said, we have left Eden behind, but we can always return there when we will, and although we were only playing at paradise, I was not playing at love. I meant all I said, Molly. Have you meant it often? asked Molly significantly. I never meant it, or even played at it, before, he answered. I did, at one time, contemplate the possibility of playing at it, but that was long ago as long ago as last night. I am glad to the core of my soul that I decided against it before I met you, dear Eve. I have the letter of decision in my coat pocket this moment. I mean to mail it this afternoon. Curiosity knows no gender, quoted Molly. Then, to satisfy your curiosity, I must bore you with some personal history. My parents died when I was a little chap, and my uncle brought me up. He has been immensely good to me, but he is a bit of a tyrant. Recently he picked out a wife for me, the daughter of an old sweetheart of his. I have never even seen her, but she has arrived in town on a visit to some relatives there. Uncle Dick wrote to me to return home at once and pay my court to the lady. I protested. He wrote again, a letter, short and the reverse of sweet. If I refused to do my best to win Miss Mannering, he would disown me, never speak to me again cut me off with a quarter. Uncle always means what he says. That is one of our family traits, you understand. I spent some miserable, undecided days. It was not the threat of disinheritance that worried me, although when you have been brought up to regard yourself as a prospective millionaire, it is rather difficult to adjust your vision to a pauper focus. But it was the thought of alienating Uncle Dick. I love the dear, determined old chap like a father. But last night my guardian angel was with me, and I decided to remain my own man. So I wrote Uncle Dick, respectfully but firmly declining to become a candidate for Miss Mannering's hand. But you have never seen her, said Molly. She may be almost charming. If she be not fair to me, what care I how fair she be? quoted Mary. As you say, she may be almost charming, but she is not Eve. She is merely one of a million other women as far as I am concerned. Don't let's talk of her. Let us talk only of ourselves. There is nothing else that is half so interesting. And will your uncle really cast you off? asked Molly. Not a doubt of it. What will you do? Work, dear Eve. 
My carefully acquired laziness must be thrown to the winds, and I shall work. That is the rule outside of Eden. Don't worry. I've painted pictures that have actually been sold. I'll make a living for us somehow. Us? Of course. You are engaged to me. I am not, said Molly indignantly. Molly! Molly! After that kiss! Fie! Fie! You are very absurd, said Molly, but your absurdity has been amusing. I have, yes, positively, I have enjoyed your Eden comedy, but now you must not come any further with me. My aunt might not approve. Here is my path to Orchard Knob Farmhouse. There, I presume, is yours to Sweetbriar Cottage. Good morning. I am coming over to see you this afternoon, said Murray coolly, but you needn't be afraid. I will not tell tales out of Eden. I will be a hypocrite and pretend to Mrs. Palmer that we have never met before. But you and I will know and remember. Now you may go. I reserve to myself the privilege of standing here and watching you out of sight. That afternoon Murray strolled over to Orchard Knob, going into the kitchen without knocking, as was the habit in that free and easy world. Mrs. Palmer was lying on the lounge with a pungent handkerchief bound about her head, but keeping a vigilant eye on a very pretty, very plump brown-eyed girl who was stirring a kettleful of cherry preserve on the range. "'Good afternoon, Mrs. Palmer,' said Murray, wondering where Molly was. "'I'm sorry to see that you look something like an invalid.' "'I've a raging, ramping headache,' said Mrs. Palmer solemnly. "'I had it all night, and I'm good for nothing.' "'Molly, you'd better take them cherries off. "'Mr. Murray, this is my niece, Molly Booth.' "'What?' said Murray explosively. "'Miss Molly Booth,' repeated Mrs. Palmer in a louder tone. "'Murray regained outward self-control and bowed to the blushing Molly. "'And what about Eve?' he thought helplessly. "'Who, what was she? Did I dream her? "'Was she a phantom of delight? "'No, no, phantoms don't milk cows. "'She was flesh and blood.' No chilly nymph exhaling from the mists of the marsh could have given a kiss like that. "'Molly has come to stay the rest of the summer with me,' said Mrs. Palmer. "'I hope to goodness my tribulations with hired girls is over at last. They have made a wreck of me.' Murray rapidly reflected. This development, he decided, released him from his promise to tell no tales. "'I met a young lady down in the pond pasture this morning,' he said deliberately. I talked with her for a few minutes. I supposed her to be your niece. Who was she? Oh, that was Miss Mannering, said Mrs. Palmer. What? said Murray again. Mannering, Dora Mannering, said Mrs. Palmer loudly, wondering if Mr. Murray were losing his hearing. She came here last night just to see me. I haven't seen her since she was a child of twelve. I used to be her nurse before I was married. I was that proud to think she thought it worth her while to look me up. And mind you, this morning, when she found me crippled with headache and not able to do a hand's turn, that girl, Mr. Murray, went and milked seven cows. Only four, murmured Murray, but Mrs. Palmer did not hear him. For me, couldn't prevent her. She said she had learned to milk for fun one summer when she was in the country, and she did it. And then she got breakfast for the men. Molly didn't come till the ten o'clock train. Miss Mannering is as capable as if she had been riz on a farm. Where is she now? demanded Murray. "'Oh, she's gone. What?' "'Gone!' shouted Mrs. Palmer. "'Gone! She left on the train while he come on. Gracious me, is the man gone crazy? He hasn't seemed like himself at all this afternoon.' Murray had bolted madly out of the house and was striding down the lane. 
blind fool, unspeakable idiot that he had been, to take her for Mrs. Palmer's niece, that peerless creature with the calm acceptance of any situation which marked the woman of the world with the fine appreciation and quickness of repartee that spoke of generations of culture, to imagine that she could be Molly Booth. He had been blind, besottedly blind, and now he had lost her. She would never forgive him. She had gone without a word or sign. As he reached the last curve of the lane where it looped about the apple trees, a plump figure came flying down the orchard slope. "'Mr. Murray! Mr. Murray!' Molly Booth called breathlessly. "'Will you please come here just a minute?' Murray crossed over to the paling rather grumpily. He did not want to talk with Molly Booth just then. Confounded, what did the girl want? Why was she looking so mysterious? Molly produced a little square gray envelope from some feminine hiding-place and handed it over the paling. "'She gave this to me at the station. Miss Mannering did,' she gasped, "'and asked me to give it to you without letting Aunt Emily Jane see. "'I couldn't get a chance to when you was in, but as soon as you went, "'I slipped out the porch door and followed you. "'You went so fast Aunt Ellie died trying to head you off.' "'You dear little soul,' said Mary, suddenly radiant. "'It is too bad you have had to put yourself so out of breath on my account, "'but I am immensely obliged to you. "'The next time your young man wants a trusty private messenger, "'just refer him to me.' "'Get away with you,' giggled Molly. "'I must hurry back for Aunt Emily Jane gets when I'm gone. "'I hope there's good news in your girl's letter. "'My, but didn't you look flat when Aunt said she'd went?' "'Murray beamed at her idiotically. "'When she had vanished among the trees, he opened his letter. "'Dear Mr. Murray,' it ran, "'your unblushing audacity of the morning deserves some punishment. "'I hereby punish you by prompt departure from Orchard Knob.' Yet I do not dislike audacity at some times, in some places, in some people. It is only from a sense of duty that I punish it in this case. And it was really pleasant in Eden. If you do not mail that letter, and if you still persist in your very absurd interpretation of the meaning of Eve's kiss, we may meet again in town. Until then, I remain, very sincerely yours, Dora Lynn Mannering. Murray kissed the grey letter and put it tenderly away in his pocket. Then he took his letter to his uncle and tore it into tiny fragments. Finally he looked at his watch. "'If I hurry, I can catch the afternoon train to town,' he said. End of Story 3 Recording by A.L.W. P.O.E. on April 30th, 2011 A.L.W. P.O.E. dot com